Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to the Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, as in eight or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie, how are you this morning? Look, I had an amazing moment of discovery this morning. A okay. little short story. So, yes. heard my alarm going off, went, it's the weekend. Why would I have my alarm on? Kept sleeping. My, like, last minute alarm went off and I was like, oh, Friday, not the weekend. So, get up, just, like, do the old look in my cupboard and I was like, I have nothing to wear. What I mean is, I want to wear trackies, probably shouldn't wear trackies. Put a dress on, realise it has pockets. Fellas. If you see a lass having a bad day, just wait to see the immense joy that comes from finding the skirt or a dress has pockets. It just, it's the best start to the morning. Uh, yeah, well, pockets are amazing. Us guys, we cannot live without pockets. I thought you guys well, no had like... no one should have to live without but pockets. But you've got a handbag. It's right there. I was on the floor. No. Like, why, why do you need pockets if you've got a handbag? You can put so much more in a handbag. No. Just Believe me, I've seen the inside satisfied. of a handbag. <laughs> it's a dangerous place for any male to go. But it's just Lots knowing of... you have pockets. I agree. So I what's think in... everyone should have pockets. What is in your pockets right now? Well, I did have my phone and keys... But then I got out and put my hand in my other pockets. <laughs> Even just, I'm definitely the person who loves to put my hands in my pockets when I'm just standing there. And then I was doing a prac at a school once and they're like, hey, um, we try and encourage the kids to just be open. Like, don't cross your arms, don't have your hands in your pockets. I was like, oh, this is going to be a challenge. <laughs> but no, I'm good. How are you feeling this morning? Oh, just uh, great. Great. Okay. Just great. We're not a solid amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I am amazing this morning. God is good. Yes, it's true. God has never been anything but good, and that's just awesome. I'm just feeling a little bit flat because I had a bit of a rough night last night. Oh, hey. Tired or just? Yeah, a bit of a late one. bit of a late one. Oh, yeah, okay. How and, and then, well, and then it wasn't so much I had a terribly late night, I had a terribly late dinner. Oh, and then you don't sleep well. Yeah, and because I had a terribly late dinner, then I didn't sleep well through the night, but hey. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Positively different news. Let's have it. Yes. Okay. So, there's a man. His name is Harry Tower. Um, he is from Tauranga in Auckland, uh, in New Zealand, sorry, which is like a few hours south-ish. Wow. Listen Auckland. to you go. What do you mean? Those, those Kiwi pronunciations. That's how you pronounce it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I got corrected by so many people for not saying things right that it's like, must get it accurate. And even then, people are like, you're still so Aussie. Anyway, um, this bus driver, so he's big on kindness. So basically he was in the army years and years ago, then he spent 48 years working in the ports where he lives. And then he's like, you know what, I think it's time. I need to recharge my batteries. I'm going to go back to being a bus driver. So he's now been a bus driver for four years, the same route. Um, It's school kids that he picks up. He knows all of them by name. He gives all of them a birthday card with money in it on their birthday um, to the point where there was this one boy, um, Ewan, and he changed school, so changed bus route. When he first started, this boy was young. He was a bit anxious about going on the bus. He'd sit right up the front and Harry would talk to him and be like, oh, you know, I remember when I was your age and, you know, the old just chit-chat. Yeah, yep. um, Ewan changed schools, which meant he changed bus routes. But the year later, whenever it was, um, his mum was surprised to find a birthday card in the mail, cashing it from Harry the bus driver. Like, just, she was That's blown away. That's pretty epic. Yeah. And That's he, pretty epic. You know, his whole perspective is, well... It's such a beautiful. He's like, you know, this is precious cargo I have here, like with all these kids. But then he's also like, man, of course I want to look out for the kids. I was a kid once. And I was like, he, That's has a the great mo- he, he carries every day. He carries the most valuable cargo on the planet. Absolutely. There is nobody that carries cargo more valuable than that. No, but I mean, I went to. I had to catch the bus to school, and like my bus drivers were lovely, but they were just 
the person who drove the bus. You know, I knew their names uh-huh. and that was about it. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say they knew our names. And, like, that's, that's fine. Like, we never were like, you guys suck. It's just... That's quite impressive, I think, and really lovely for a bus driver to be like, I'm going to take it actual interest here. And, um, yeah, and so he'll often, if they're, you know, those like, um, oh, what do I call it, like lollipop lady people or stop go workers for um, roadworks, he'll give them biscuits. If it's a hot day, he'll get ice creams. Like every now and then he'll have a pack of lollies just passed around the bus and, you know, the boys will be like, all right, guys, this is from Harry. You know, he's just got a little like a little family going on as they go to school. I was like, that would be the best start to your morning. If you don't like school, you would still look forward to that bus trip. Absolutely. Big shout out to all school bus drivers this morning. You guys are heroes. You carry the most valuable cargo on the planet. I remember I have this vivid memory of of when I was in year seven and uh, on the Hewan Highway on the way back from uh, Hobart, there was a truck that um, Mr. Gear at the top of the hill, you know, coming down the coming down the hill, uh, brakes faded, um, gave out. By the time it got to the Grove shops, it had no brakes. It hit a car there, flipped the car on its roof, and came hurtling down along Grove Straight. Whereupon it hit straight bang smack into the back of our bus oh. with as much force that the back seat was driven into the. Um, into the row in front of Were it. Were there kids? There, the bus was full of oh, kids. Yeah. Thankfully, most of the kids in the back seat were pretty skinny. Mm-hmm. One kid who would have actually been crushed actually had a sixth sense, looked over his shoulder, saw the truck coming and made a dive for the aisle. I was sitting about the middle of the bus and I have this memory, this very, very clear memory of um, you know this full-size bus, like full coach-size bus, mm-hmm. and... It's been hit by this truck and it's drifting. It's fully drifting sideways. The um, the bus driver was thrown out of his seat and he was he was sitting on the engine hump, you know, that oh, was beside the, the I... driver's seat, swinging on that steering wheel while this bus is drift just in full drift down the road, sideways. Um, meanwhile, the truck went through a row of poplars. You know, you have a hedgerow of, uh, of, of poplar trees. Oh, yeah, right, And right, it was yeah. snapping them off like matchsticks. Oh. It was hitting – it was a truck with no bonnet on it, you know, just a, a, a cab mm. over truck. And it was hitting them so hard that it was snapping them off at the base and flicking them over the top of the cab without breaking the windscreen. Oh, and this, <laughs> this is this is that was, you know, and ever since then, bus drivers have been my hero because oh, – yeah. because if we'd lost it and gone completely sideways, we would have just rolled. And there's, yeah. you know, there's no, there's no uh, seat belts or anything on 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 buses, you know, school buses, particularly back in those days. And uh, to be able to drift a school bus is uh-huh. a very, very special um, ability. Yeah, you have to be on it. You have to be a very good driver uh-huh. to be able to do that, and to do it when you're not sitting in the seat, when you're sitting on the engine hump. You know, that's a very, very special kind of skills right there. A unique skill set. <laughs> I was going to say, look, so, it'd be a day to remember. Whew. Oh, yes. Big uh, big shout out to all school bus drivers. And if there's anybody out there Absolutely. that was on that school bus with me that day and remembers those events. Yeah. Yeah, give us a call and let us know. Yeah. It was pretty epic. It was one of those, have was, I'll guarantee, I will guarantee there was not a kid on that bus that doesn't have a vivid recollection of that event. How old would you have been around then? Uh, I think I was year seven. Might have been year eight. Yeah, pretty okay. sure I was. Pretty sure I was year seven. Yeah, that's pretty intense. <laughs> oh, it was intense. It was intense. Yeah. So the most valuable cargo on the planet. There Absolutely. you go. And here's a guy who's uh, making life better for a whole bunch of uh, 
a whole bunch of people. Absolutely. And I love it because, you know, some people are like, oh, what are you going to do with your life? Just be a bus driver. I'm like, well, some of them are great. Like, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just be a bus driver? I hate those comments. There's no, there's, there's no such occupation. thing as just be a bus yeah. driver, particularly a school bus driver. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the level of responsibility that you have is just off the charts. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so here's some interesting research that just came out of the United States uh, where they, re- where they uh, surveyed um, people who were between the age of 18 and 39. So just when they've reached adulthood, but before they reach 40, um, the survey was across all 50 states and it was in relationship to the Holocaust Mm -hmm. and people's knowledge of the Holocaust. Um, Two-thirds of people had no idea how many people, how many Jews died in the Holocaust. So for the record, there was six million. Um, Half of them could not name a single concentration camp or ghetto 12% 12% had never heard of the Holocaust at all, like never, ever heard of it. Oh. Um, 20% in the state of New York believed that the Holocaust was started and run by Jewish people. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. That one's a bit of worry. Uh, nationally, that was 11%. Um, half of all those surv- uh, surveyed had witnessed um, some form of Holocaust denial. But as a part of the survey, they also asked them, um, should this be compulsory part of education and should we teach it to prevent uh, it from ever happening again? 64% should it should be uh, uh, compulsory in education. 80% said that we should teach it to prevent it from ever happening again. So I guess that was the positive that came out of mm-hmm. it. But it's a little bit scary when you've got events that happened so recently, yeah. like there's still people alive today who were alive back then. I was going to say, surely if the range is 18 to 39, they would have grandparents, Alicia, would have been alive at least World War Two. Like there's still a World oh, absolutely. War era. That- absolutely. Oh, wow. So this is a major, uh, a major issue and it kind of highlights, you know, just how, I guess, uneducated we are today mm. and how quickly we forget history. And forgetting history is an incredibly dangerous thing. Mm. Um, it's it, it always fascinates me when, you know, it doesn't matter which side of politics you are on, you know, particularly with the US elections coming up and so forth. It doesn't matter which side of politics you're on, the other side are, you know, Nazis. <laughs> yes. But if you ask the average, kind of average person, was Adolf Hitler left or right, they wouldn't have the faintest idea. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't know which side of which side he was on. And so you know, it's a little bit scary that we lose our sense of history so quickly, or our knowledge of history so quickly, because those who do not know their history are condemned uh, are condemned to repeat it. And there's actually something. I, okay, I know it's a few years old, but there was this movie that came out based on a true story of a teacher in America. And she was looking at gangs. So they, a lot of the students had gang affiliation and they just like didn't want to be at school, like the school didn't really care for them. There was this whole thing. And she realised, specifically to do with this, she, she mentioned something about the Jews or the Nazis and none of them knew what she was talking about. She was like, what? And she was like, man, I'm going to tell you about one of the biggest, baddest gangs, you know, that was out. And she takes them through this whole journey. They end up – and this is, you know, how many years ago um, – they ended up having – conversations I think with I don't know if it was Holocaust survivors or people who had family or people who'd been there and had moved to America I can't remember the details and for these kids it just exposed them to this whole life outside the life that they had 
and it shifted things hugely. Yes. And she just kind of built this little safe haven in her classroom with, you know, people who were in very opposing gangs. But it was like, oh, hold on. Because their whole thing was, you couldn't understand. You don't know our life. And I think this is one thing where history can show you that, man, people problems are people problems. Yeah, you know absolutely. I mean? like, absolutely. You get you get uh, people in gangs in the United States and they don't have problems compared to people who are suffering in the Holocaust. Mm. You know, their problems are just like very, very minor compared to what Jewish people were going through in the Holocaust. Mm. And they're real because it's in their experience. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. but if you have oh, a yeah, comparison absolutely. against what someone else has been That's through. That's right. And suddenly re- you realise just how good you have it. I Yeah. Fully. See, this is. I'm going to say something super controversial right now. Get ready for it. I'm actually excited. I don't believe the problem is systemic racism. It's systemic ignorance. Ooh, interesting. Because when you actually know another person and you know about them and you know their history and you know why things are the way they are, Hmm. then you understand. Mm -hmm. And we can't understand unless we understand our history. I would agree with that, yeah. Anyway. Um, Won't go down too far. Okay, you you want to debate this one? Uh, 1-800-324-843 is the number. Give us a call. Happy to to chat about this one. Okay, I did say I was going to talk about the chicken lockdown. You did? In Victoria. This is literal chickens like the animals? Literal chickens. They have been locked into into their uh, sheds, locked away from the environment. They are no longer allowed to go out and to be free range. I feel really sad for these chickens. Yeah, it's kind of bad. Um, and they're locked down till the end of September. What's the reason for this? Now, they seem to be suffering a whole lot less uh, stress than what humans are because they're still laying eggs. Uh-huh. And you give a chicken the slightest amount of stress and it won't lay eggs. Okay, right. Um, so they seem, to be, they seem to be pretty chill about the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, bird flu. Just when you thought that um, nothing, of course. Else, nothing else could go wrong, bird flu has uh, struck hard in Victoria. Now, bird flu, of course, is caught by chickens and, you know, uh, turkeys and so forth, Mm. from wild birds. Oh, okay. Wild birds don't show any symptoms. Chickens and turkeys die from it. Right. And so when they're out and about and doing their thing uh, and a wild bird comes by and they have some kind of interaction with a wild bird or a wild bird poops or something or other and they get bird flu and then it just rips through the whole shed and kills kind of everything. Um, and so as a result of that and as a result of bird flu um, being spread very rapidly in Victoria, they've had to lock down all of the chicken sheds. Um, Wouldn't it be 2020 without something else popping up? Like, well, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so far, six farms have been hit very hard with three different strains of bird flu. Mm. Uh, and when, the, when, when one of these chickens comes down with bird flu, what they have to do is to kill all the chickens. They have to remove all the litter, all the mulch, all the soil, anything that the birds have touched and sterilise the entire shed. That's a big job. It's a massive job Boy. and a massive cost. Um, so, yeah, basically everything that a bird came in touch. One farmer had to uh, kill 10,000 birds. Oh, uh, another had to kill three hundred and eighty thousand birds. That's a lot of birds to try and get rid of this disease. Aren't you glad that with COVID nineteen we are not birds? Yes, very much so. Um, and you know, you're looking at uh, between ten and forty thousand chickens per shed, mm. and that's kind of the only way that you can do it to be able to meet the demand that we as consumers make on. Uh, on on uh, for, for eggs and so forth, eggs and poultry, and so um, you know you get a disease that goes through there. It just it just is uh, is d- disaster. Mm. 
yeah. Okay. So that's um. Yeah. Once, as I often say, the world in which we live today, Jesus is coming back soon. Absolutely. Here's another really good book. Oh, okay, okay. oh, no, no. I was just going to absolutely, like, it's just, to me, I'm like, this is such a sign that, like, we have seen the world. This is not the world we were designed for. And this is the world that God is going to restore to none of that. Like, absolutely. That it's going to be gone. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be over. Afghanistan. Okay. Um, we're going right around the world today. We are. We are. Okay. So in Afghanistan, women have just won the right to have their name on their child's birth certificate. And in Afghanistan, that's a massive step forward. Um, and it's taken a three-year campaign to get that pushed through, but it's just been signed into law. Um, so uh, women are never named in any kind of public document in Afghanistan. They are always named as uh, the wife of, the sister of, the daughter of, the mother of, their, their nearest male relative. And so even on your driver's license, it doesn't have your name. It has your nearest male relative's name. Um, It doesn't go on your wedding certificate, on your wedding invitations, on your gravestone, on identity cards, or in public records. You know that thing we were just talking about, about how if you don't know other people's experience, you think you have a real bad? Uh I feel like we could apply that here too. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, my days. Uh That's wild. Yeah, it's, it's it's almost like they are not supposed to exist. Yeah. And that's kind of how they, you know, they feel about it. So yeah, they've just won that right, and that's a uh, a great um, thing for them. Of course, passports can be applied for in Afghanistan by their nearest male relative. But they would have to have their name. Has to have their name, yeah. but it's not applied for by them. They can't apply for a passport. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. So about a week ago, we had uh, Pastor Josh Gonzalez from Sydney. Uh, on the phone sharing his testimony. He got about halfway through when we did promise that we would get him back to hear the rest of the story. Uh, Josh, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well, thanks. Yeah. Um, last time, and just to fill our listeners in a little bit, you talked about growing up in a, in a Christian home, uh, devout Baptist parents, uh, but mm-hmm. um, as you progressed into your teen years, becoming involved in the music scene, in rap music, uh, forming a group, becoming involved in the uh, the gang scene in Sydney, um, and some quite um, traumatic encounters there. Uh, you talked about one of your your cousins dying as a result of that. You talked about um, you talked about you you know drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things that were really really sort of taking control of your life and dragging you down. Even while you knew that God was there, God was real, and God existed, and um, you brought us up to the point where you made a decision to to serve God. Just for our listeners, I'm wondering whether you can pick up from that particular point. Uh, just give us a brief description yeah. of where your head was at and uh, what impact that decision had on your life. Yes, yeah, so as I was sharing last week, um, basically I, I had come to a point where I, I had hit rock bottom. Um, you know, I was really addicted to alcohol, to drugs. I, my marriage was breaking up. Um, I had a great job at the time. I was uh, on my last morning at work because my lifestyle was affecting my work. I had a bad relationship with my family. And even though I had started going to church because um, I had slipped back into my old ways, I, my spiritual life was non-existent at the time, really. And, and it was around that time where I almost got killed. And that caused my current friends to 
um, basically want to go to war with my old friends who are the ones that try to get me and yeah, everything was just kind of culminating to a really bad place and as I was just sharing and finished up that it was in the middle of all of that that I had my encounter with Jesus um, and it changed my life and you know, it was, it was crazy because I had friends that were wanting to really do something really bad um, to kind of help me in my situation. And when all of this happened, I, I had just kind of, you know, I came out of it and I turned around and I told everyone that, hey, like, you know, God's, God's got me. I just felt like God had just given me this peace and had, had just somehow given me this peace that he was going to, you know, sort out all the issues in my life, uh, in particularly this pressing issue, which was that some people were trying to kill me and some of my friends were trying to kill the people that were trying to kill me and all of this stuff was going on. And so I had to go and tell my friends that, you know, what happened? I told them about the day that I was in my room and I had my encounter with Jesus and how everything changed and how I was not going to drink or smoke or do anything anymore. And, and I was going to follow God. And, you know, it's funny because some of my friends, they, they saw it and some of them could tell that something had happened and they could, in a sense, wow, like something's happened with Josh. Some other of my friends kind of laughed at me and, and made comments of like, you know, I had smoked too much weed or something and I was, you know, tripping out. And, but, you know, years later, you know, it's praise God that, everything's been proven to be true and the fact that he did come into my heart, he did change me. You know, he got, the, the, the beautiful thing was is that I had this um, alcohol and drug addiction that I, I just couldn't shake off as much as I tried. And as I mentioned last week, I'd have nights where I'd be, I'd be stoned and drunk and I'd be just kind of begging God to take this away from me because I, I just couldn't, couldn't shake it off. And um, after I had that encounter with Jesus that day, um, I stopped drinking and smoking just immediately. Like I just never drank or smoked again. Never had the desire to do it. He just took that away from me, and little by little, my life started to change. And I made a decision then that I wanted to just—I I felt like I needed to just get as far away from my old life as possible. Uh, and so I just kind of stopped hanging out with my friends. I—I I stopped doing music. I just started doing everything that I could to to get closer to God and. You know, eventually somebody asked me to share a testimony at church and I shared my testimony one day and people were really kind of, I guess, touched by it. And somebody else asked me to share it somewhere else. And little by little, I started getting invited to churches to share my testimony. And then once I was sharing it, somebody kind of said to me one day, you've got the gift of preaching. And I was like, yeah, I, I could feel it. You know, I could feel that. Basically, what it was was that the, from what God had saved me from, I just knew it wasn't to just go and, you know, warm up some pew seats on a Saturday morning at church. There was something bigger to this. I could feel a call to ministry, and I started to really feel that heavily um, shortly after my conversion experience. And I started preaching, and one day um, I get asked uh, to, to come in for a meeting, and, and I start talking to some leaders of the church of the church here in Sydney and I got offered a, a scholarship to go to Avondale College to study ministry and theology. Um, and yeah, that that was uh, 2015 that started. And uh, 2017, I actually started working here in Sydney as a pastor in the Northern Beaches. 
Yeah, praise God. Hey, Josh, uh, just a couple of quick questions that just come to mind yep. as you're sharing that. In that in those early days when you're a mm-hmm. relatively new Christian as far as your commitment to God goes, and mm-hmm. you know we all know what it's like to be a relatively new Christian and to be somewhat fragile, yep. uh, the opportunity to share your testimony, was that something that do you feel that it contributed to your spiritual strength to overcome the temptations? Because you would have been continually being hit by temptations. Oh, yeah. Your old friends, you know, your old lifestyle, mm. etc. You mm. know, they don't, they don't, that doesn't just go away automatically. How much did being able to, you know, week after week share your testimony add to your spiritual strength at that time? It definitely adds to the point, I think, more than anything, it just really keeps reminding you of what God has done for you in your life, you know. When you're sharing the story, you're continuously going over it and you're continuously reminding yourself as well of what God has done for you in your life. And so that was, yeah, such a such a big part of my journey is to really understand the significance of what God had done for me. And so as I would share my testimony, it would remind me and it would let people as well around me know. Um, so, yeah, it had a big impact on me uh, at that point. And I think that's uh, um, something that all of our, you know our, our listeners should bear in mind is that if you're struggling in your Christian experience and you've got you know a social network that drags you down, if you've got uh, if if you've got addictions that drag you down, share your testimony, share it as often as you can, tell people what God has done for you, because in doing so, you will gain strength to continue moving forward. Josh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, go ahead. One thing I just want to quickly share is that, you know, I was taught sometimes as well to have this mindset or maybe I just adapted this mindset of thinking that while I was living my life away from God, that God somehow wasn't with me. And as I share my testimony, which makes me go back through my journey, I actually could see in that experience of my life, even when I was far away from God, I could actually see how God was still there for me. He was still looking out for me. He was still being faithful to me. He was still protecting me uh, and still blessing me. And so all of that kind of, yeah, just made my appreciation for what God did for me that much greater as well. Mm, absolutely. Josh, um, I remember a time period because I was there for some of this, um, which was yes. uh, which was a blessing. But I do remember a time period sort of between where you gave your life to God and when you went to study to do ministry, mm-hmm. where you know even at that particular time, even though you didn't have the opportunity to do ministry, you weren't letting that stop you. And no. you kind of had some ministry stuff happening as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah so what happened was I, you know, I had this big desire to preach, but because I was kind of new and I guess, you know, I, people, it, it was very sudden and very quick, the, the change that happened in me. I kind of wasn't allowed to, to share in, uh, you know, as preaching in churches um, right away. And I had met a group of young men who were had similar backgrounds to me, similar stories, and were in the same situation. And we just had this burning desire in our hearts to preach and to share with people what God had done for us. And we weren't getting the opportunities to do that in church right at the beginning. And so God led us to um, basically go and do that out in the public. So we started going out to different neighborhoods in Sydney, and we were just preaching on the streets, and we were sharing with people. And uh, that was a, a really amazing you know, time in, in my ministry and in my life because it, it really grew as well that, 
that calling, that understanding of the calling, you know, to ministry. So, yeah, we would go out to, you know, places like King's Cross and Newtown and all these, you know, Bondi Beach, and we'd just start preaching on the street and just start sharing with people, not in a judgmental, you know, way of going out there and telling people that they're doomed and all this kind of stuff. It was just more going out there to share with people what God had done for us. And, you know, in the process, we met some amazing people, had some great conversations, and we even met someone uh, one day when we were out in Newtown who uh, was going to commit suicide that night, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, that was a real, real blessing, real great time. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was fantastic. And I sort of, you know, my memory of uh, of the events back then, there was there was a few raised eyebrows when Josh gave his life to God because, like, okay, you, Josh was known as the uh, the gangster, the rapper, the um, the alcoholic, the druggo. And it's like, are we really going to let this guy preach in our church? Yeah. What's he going to say? Yeah, that's right, that's right. And so you yeah. weren't going to stop anyway. You just sort of went out there and started preaching and uh, and praise God for that. Yeah. You've been a uh, you've been a pastor in Sydney for. Uh, quite a number of years now. Uh, mm-hmm. What part of Sydney are you ministering in? So right now I'm working in the Northern Beaches and just over the last probably six to nine months, um, I've been out here for, this is my fourth year, um, but just over the last probably about nine months or so, God has really opened up a, an amazing opportunity for me to start a new church plant out here in DY. And what happened was is... Um, through just, you know, God opening doors, um, I ended up building a, a relationship with the local PCYC. I actually worked with them throughout the week and volunteered doing programs, you know, for young people out here. And it's just opened doors for us to use the PCYC as a venue for church. And so we have an afternoon church uh, here in Sydney because, um, the Northern Beaches is an area that in, on Saturday mornings, it's just, there's so much going on with sports and activities that we thought, you know, to be missionally intentional, to be able to reach people that are very busy on a Saturday morning, we'll do an afternoon church. But, um, just volunteering and working with the PCYC has opened so many doors where I'm now working directly with the police in the local area. They invite me to go to high school to speak to kids because I ended up sharing my testimony with them and, and basically, you know, told them that I have this desire and passion to especially talk to young people and, and, um, and try to encourage them to do something better with their lives, especially the ones that are trying to follow in some of the footsteps that I walked through, you know, when I was younger. And so right now, yeah, I'm mentoring out here. I'm, I'm speaking at schools. I'm working with the PCYC. We're actually, um, partnering up with the PCYC and the local council, the Northern Beaches Council to run some programs starting as of next term for school kids where, we're going to be using music and art and a bunch of other things. Um, oh, so much going on right now. But, yeah, you know, it's just never would have thought that I would be here today because, you know, 10 years ago, um, if you would have asked me what I would have wanted to do with my life, I would have said to you, I want to be a professional rapper. That, that, that's what I wanted to do. And now God has me doing this amazing ministry, which is a blessing. It's all, you know, it's all a gift from him. Um, but... Yeah, we're really making a, a big difference and a, and a big impact out here in the community. It was just a, a big conviction in my heart um, to just really get out into the community and do something to give back. And God opened up the doors for that to be possible. Uh, and yeah, a little you know church plan is growing, um, but we're working now directly with uh, local community organizations. We're doing uh, food deliveries uh, to people that are in need. Um, yeah, I'm working with... Um, uh, recovering drug addicts as well out here, and yeah, so much going on. 
Oh, that's fantastic. I wish I had time to share everything, but it's a lot going on right now. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but uh, thank you so much for coming on the show um, for these two sessions and sharing with us, Josh. Can I just say one quickly last thing? I just want to just to your listeners, I was at a point in my life where I thought that you know all hope was gone, uh, that I had done too much to come back to God. And in the midst of all of that, God reached out to me and he let me know that there was never a time where you had gone to the point where you, you know, it was too late to come back to God. And so I just want to encourage anyone out there that if you're feeling the same way, that you're feeling like you've done too much to come back to God or that your life is messed up, there is always hope in Jesus. You can never do anything to stop God from loving you. Yes. So, yeah, seek the Lord today. If uh, if you are feeling like that, that is because God is calling you back. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.